the house that I found was 275,000, which is a really low dollar amount in my market. It was a three bedroom, two bath in this place called Plant City that I love. Um, I went conventional 20%, so $55,000 down. And we were going to take this house from a three bedroom, two bathroom to a five bedroom, three bathroom. So mm. one of them is an ensuite. The other bathroom is Jack and Jill doesn't have any hall access. It Jack and Jill's right into bedrooms two and three. And then the living room and the other bedroom that we created would share the third bathroom. The house is really nice. It was built in 2007. Um, we did have to put a new HVAC in. It had a 200 amp panel. It had a tankless water heater, which I'm not a fan of for pad split, but it was only going to be five bedrooms. So we stuck with it for now. We did replace the HVAC again, only five bedrooms. So three tons is more than enough. I was all into this house for $92,000. So that includes my down payment, closing costs, the conversion, the furnishing, I bring my stager in. I, I want to bring in my STR skill set into pad splits, which is why my pad split investors generally make pretty high numbers on the platform oh. because I just married those two strategies. So even though my GC is doing the furniture and we've really upgraded our furniture over the months that we're learning and you know changing things, I do bring my stager in to then dress the bedrooms for the photography because you want people to see exactly where they're going to stay with the artwork, the lighting, what types of furniture in the rooms. So I was in for $92,000 um, because it was a very quick conversion. I closed on the house on February 28th. Okay. By March 20th, my wow. house was hitting the platform. So it was three weeks. Now, the average investor on your first property, don't expect that. My guys, we mm -hmm. carry for seven to eight weeks. And if you're doing more of a flip, carry eight to 12 weeks. But if Got you're it. converting a house into a small conversion or you're not adding a bathroom, um, but for me, again, because I put a lot of these on the platform, I was already 10 steps ahead of everyone else. So three weeks, I'm on the platform. So before my first mortgage payment even hits, I am cash flow. <laughs> so let's talk about that because an ensuite will get rented within, they'll tell you one to three days and I'm gonna tell you ensuites get rented within hours. They go on the platform and they are scooped up immediately because they are a hot commodity. So, but it does, my investors, we average about four weeks to hit 100% occupancy. But mm, remember, I you're starting to cash flow the minute people start to move in. And the host sets the move-in fee, which is really important to know as well, because why can't some of these people afford rent? Because they have to pay first, last, and security. We don't mm -hmm. have that with PadSplit. And so my move-in fees are $100 or less per room. Yep, so they're in like Flynn. So my ensuite rents for $270 a week. Bedroom, wow. the two bedrooms with the Jack and Jill, $229 and $228. Uh, the bigger bedroom that was created out of the living room is at 220. And then my very small room is at 200. So I do a 49 week uh, gross because of vacancy. So Haskell has an attainable occupancy rate of about 94%. Um, so I just take 49 weeks. So if I was making uh, 49 weeks, my house grosses $56,203. My operating expenses are 30%. And it's 30% for most of my investors, but I need everyone to understand that mm. does not have debt service, taxes, or insurance. This is like pure operating. The 15% pad split, my property management layer, my water, sewer, trash, utilities, electric, 
internet, lawn, turnovers, cleaning. I have accounted for every single penny. My, uh, I have ring cameras on every single exit. That's a hundred a month. So I'm at 30%. So 30% expenses are 16,860. My PITI is $19,200. So I am netting on this five bedroom, three bathroom house. I'm net netting $20,143 per year. It's a 20% cash on cash return. So I was all in for 92. I'm netting 20. But Okay, welcome to another episode of Affordable Housing and Real Estate Investing. So guys, today I am so excited to welcome Beth Silverman and Quentin Went from Pat Split because this is one of the craziest and most innovative, but also like duh moment when I came across this idea, like, hey, why aren't we implementing the solution to help solve the affordable housing crisis? So without further ado, uh, let's welcome Beth. Let's welcome Quentin. And Beth, maybe let's start with you. Just tell us a little bit about yourself and how did you even get started into real estate investing? Uh, well, thanks. I'm really excited to be here. I'm so excited to be here with Quentin because he is just a ball of energy and knowledge and fun. So today's going to be fantastic. Um, I got my start. I'm from New York, but I currently live in the greater Tampa Bay market. I am in real estate, an active practicing realtor who represents investors, and I'm also an investor. But uh, I got my start in New York uh, with new builds, and then I moved to Maryland, and I was in the REO flip short sale game for quite a while, and then multifamily, Section 8, um, you know, and just kind of the usual, everything we would invest in. And then I moved the business to Florida and became very heavy in STR, uh, still doing multifamily and, and voucher housing. Um, but I knew things were shifting after COVID and all my investors have made just insane amount of returns. But I saw that Airbnb was becoming really saturated. And I was thinking like I needed to pivot my investor crew um, but I didn't really know where we were going to go. And so it was always like multifamily storage syndications, like what's the next big thing? And a business partner of, partner of mine um, at EXP Realty, who's based out of Atlanta, called me and he said, hey, man, I got to tell you about this thing called pad split. And I was like, what? And he's like, you, you got to get on the phone with these guys. Um, this has changed the game for me and my investors. And so I start Googling it and I, I see that they're, doing good for the world, like one room at a time. And I'm like, okay, this, this seems to align. I called pad split. Uh, that was gosh, almost two years ago now. Um, and in the last 12 months, my investors and I have put, uh, over 100 units on the platform wow. in the Canada market. Um, and it's changed the way that I invest and all my investors are investing. So it's really great to make a lot of money but also do good for the world. Wow. 100 units in two Small years. Life. That's, that's, I mean, a year. That's, that's, that's incredible, Beth. Um, wow. So that is a huge difference. Well, Quentin, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, thank you for coming on to the show, by the way. I know your time is super, super precious. Tell us a little about yourself. How'd you get involved in Pat Split? Hey, Kent, thanks for the invite. This is a uh, pretty exciting. Beth, always good to see you. You know, I love spending time with you. Um, how did I get the pad split? Kind of a circuitous route, to be honest. Um, I joined pad split just about a year ago. Uh, historically, I'm a serial entrepreneur. Um, I started my 
my world and working life, working as a consultant for a big five firm. Um, and then I left. Uh, my wife was pregnant and said, you cannot get on an airplane Monday to Friday anymore. So um, I, I bought a distribution company and I, I was there for 13 years and I sold it. And then I semi-retired and then I found out time is really, really long if you have nothing to do. And then I started participating and working with some startups. Um, and then I got introduced to the CEO of PadSplit and they were looking to have somebody come on and help from an operations standpoint. Um, and that's just kind of fundamentally who I am by trade. I'm an, I'm an operator. And um, so, yeah, about a year ago, I, I dipped the toe into real estate. It's the first time I've actually spent it. And, and I am a OCD, ACD, dig down a rabbit hole type of person. Um, and, I, and I love it. The, the ecosystem that exists, the people, the characters, the, the whole idea of it, then paired with um, what our mission is and, and kind of how we approach it from a new lens. Super exciting for me. Um, and that's how we got to where I am today. I mean, Quentin, when I first heard about you, like from Beth, I had a great conversation with her first. And then I dug a little bit deeper having a conversation with you. And when I saw your investor presentation, I saw some like crazy, crazy statistics, right? I saw that there are 14 million households uh, that are one to two person renters and they earn less than $35,000 a year. And if we just think about the affordability equation where you're not supposed to spend more than a third of your income towards rent, even though the median cost for a studio rental is fifteen forty-four, that's crazy. That means like let's just use easy numbers, right? Thirty-six thousand um, dollars divided by twelve. Like you really shouldn't be spending more than a thousand dollars for rent, but that's a fifty percent difference. So with such a huge market, Quentin, like what markets are you guys in, and what markets are you guys looking to expand to next? Because it seems like there is a huge demand for something like this in the market. Yeah, the company itself is just under five years old. You know, we're, we're based out of Atlanta. Um, all told, uh, as of today, we have just under 7,000 units on our platform. Um, we've been growing, you know, doubling in size pretty much every year uh, for the last five years. Um, and I think this year is going to be the first year that, that we, um, we actually um, topped doubling our size. And, you know, I think a lot of that speaks to kind of markets um, and, and market conditions. But uh, we started in Atlanta, so that's where the bulk of our units reside right now. We mm -hmm. have over 4,000 of our units that are based out of Atlanta, and that's our home wow. office. 4, We've expanded into Texas, uh, so we participate in Houston and Dallas, as well as Florida. Those are our three uh, flagship markets. So in Florida, Jacksonville, Tampa, Orlando, Miami, and you'll see the fastest rate of growth for us is in the Tampa, in the, not Tampa, but the Florida market mm. altogether. Across the nation, we're in Vegas, Phoenix, Richmond. Uh, Baltimore, New Orleans. Um, and then fundamentally for us, the demand exists everywhere. It's mm. a matter of, you know, who is an early adopter in our model and who is going to bring on supply that allows us to expand into markets. And that's led us down markets such as uh, Kansas City, Salt Lake City. Those are on the path uh, for growth, as well as uh, the North Carolina um, Triangle. So you're looking at Charlotte, Raleigh, Mm. Um, you know, that, that area up there. And this is, these are the investors that are bringing us into the markets. You know, for us, we understand that demand exists primarily in every city. We, we'd had a running joke internally for us is if you have a football team in your city, we are, uh, <laughs> for us, but we've realized that, um, yeah, the, the, the investors that understand our model and, um, and, and our early adopters, 
they're the ones that are pulling us into the cities that we're moving into. Wow, that that's a really cool, Quentin. You guys are in so many markets and have so have almost a path of progress in so many markets. Well, maybe Beth, let's bring you into the conversation here because I'm trying to figure out one how Quentin just talked about how much the Florida market is blowing up. Like, how did you spot? like a deal for passbill like for the listeners out there right now that are completely new that haven't heard of this concept before how do you recommend for them to one spot a deal and identify a deal because that's the number one question right no one wants to lose money on these investments how do you do it and how do you advise your investors to do it oh well first of all there's no losing money when it comes to a bad split like the amount of money and returns that we're all seeing it's in when you see how many hosts, those are the investors, immediately scale and put their second, third, fourth, fifth, and tenth house on the platform. It's because clearly something is working. So it depends on the kind of investor you are, whether you're going to look in the retail, like on market, or where you're going to look off market to wholesale, auction, uh, et cetera. Or it might be something that's already in your portfolio that you're looking to convert. Uh, but for me, it's you know 99% retail on market because I am a, a real estate professional. And what's been so exciting is the inventory that has opened up for pad split, because this is inventory we would not have considered for a buy and hold. When you think about uh, the specific buy box in Tampa, uh, the houses range from about 300 to 350,000. And if you and I were buying that house, the average gross rent is around 2,100 a month. That just doesn't really make sense for us to buy that house, especially not with today's interest rates, insurance, mm. and taxes. Mm -hmm. But if we then make that space become a pad split, and now we're grossing two to three X that, and generally the gross is nearly three X in my market, and then you're going to net two X, which is even more wild. Yeah, it's so wild. So for me, it's all about understanding the buy box and the criteria. It is a lot of labor involved in finding the properties because I physically have to go into every single property. Mm. I can't just look on the MLS and say, oh, this is going to convert. Um, so it, it, there's a lot of manual labor, but it's worth it when my average investor is closing like five pad split houses per year. Like crazy. That's crazy, Beth. I mean, I, I'm trying to think about it, right? Like, and you just mentioned you got to be in the location to actually look at the home, to get the feel. Because quality, you care a lot about quality based on our conversation that we talked about. How do you actually look at a room? Like, when you just walk the listener through, like, when you're walking through a home, what are you looking for? Are you seeing, like, oh, wow, that living room is a big waste of space? Like, we could definitely convert that in extra bedrooms. Uh, bathrooms, garage conversions. Tell us what's going through your head as you see it, because I know you see opportunity because you're so experienced at this, but break it down for our listeners. How, how yeah, do they when I was new at this, I was definitely never left home without a laser measure and tape measure. I think after you get really good, you don't, you just can see it. But I had a buy box in the MLS with a specific amount of square footage. And that's going to be very different per city. Because again, in Tampa, like we don't have basements. We generally don't have second stories. We generally don't have big garages. So in the Florida market, it's a little bit different. We live on much less square footage, but we make a lot more money with less rooms than some of the other markets like Houston and Atlanta. Um, so for me, you're always looking for the means of egress and the duct. So when I walk in, I'm looking at where's the windows and doors and where are the ducts and how much space do we need? And so oftentimes for me, it's always in that living room, 
dining room, um, if there's a Florida room that can be converted, if there's a garage that can be converted, I'm just always mindful to, you know, take into consideration, we may need to add mini splits, always take into consideration that we're going to need probably to update the HVAC, the hot water heater, the electric panel. So I'm always looking at what does the house already have that can, you know, compress down the costs for the conversion. I love so everyone loves an ensuite, right? Bathrooms, bathrooms equal dollars on pad split, no ifs, ands, or buts. Um, however, I love, for me, the win is to find a hall bathroom with bedrooms on either side of it, because you can always piggyback plumbing and we can frame out a closet and then lose a little bit of square footage on this bedroom to turn it into an ensuite. So oh. I love, yeah, man, like I really, you get so good at this. People just assume like, oh, there's a washer and dryer here. We can put a bathroom there. No, because you don't know if there's a three inch drain line mm. there. So it's all about plumbing, HVAC, egress, and the size. Um, for me, I'd rather do less bedrooms and really maintain the integrity of the home and squeeze in okay. more bathrooms and half bathrooms if possible, mm. because then we're going to make really happy tenants um, in a really beautiful space while still getting that cash flow. And then the long-term equity play is there as well. Wow, Beth, thanks for dropping some gems for our listeners right away. That's that's a great way to look at a property. And I don't think I would have picked up between the bathroom thing between two two uh, two bedrooms. That's genius. Um, so for our listeners, make sure you stay till the end because Beth is actually going to go through some numbers. I know in the beginning, we want to talk a little bit more high level. But at the end of this podcast, I swear we're going to get into the numbers like so people can actually feel and know what the numbers and how to calculate your returns. Um, but that I, hearing from Beth about how she looks at a opportunity or a deal at a micro level, Quentin, let me, let me bring you back in the conversation because I want to understand from you, what has Pat Split seen successful investors do? Is there any sort of like investment thesis that they go by like you and i briefly talked about this but it's really interesting to hear like even though it's a pass but model people still take various different approaches to this investment approach whether it's location or just how they outfit the home what have you seen that has made investors successful on your I platform think, uh, beth is like a perfect example of our, <laughs> of our first because the natural evolution of it is that it's something new. So you have to, to, to understand that whether you're an early adopter or not, and whether you are actually um, somebody that, that can take a new truth and then action off of it. And what ends up happening is after the first property that we actually go through the acquisition and the transition, the wheels in your head start turning from an entrepreneur standpoint. You start understanding, all right, how do I refine my business? And then it goes from you know, acquiring a single family property and then solving for the problem that you currently had, which was um, my rent rolls are bad or, you know, I'm a flipper and there's nobody to flip to. Right. So we ended up becoming an, a landing spot for different real estate investors that had different problems. But the ones that when they came, when they realized was that this was a different asset class altogether. And ultimately, where they land to is that they're getting multifamily returns from single family acquisitions. So if you're a multifamily, you know, investor at this point, your cap rates are terrible, your cash flow is terrible. So they go back to their roots and the 90% of them I learned all started with acquiring single family portfolios that they evolved into. Well, you know, what is old is new again, right? So in our world, what ends up happening is that the investor evolves to understand that the learnings that they had as a single, like short-term mental person, you know, what is the member experience? 
And then how do I translate that Airbnb host mentality into becoming a provider for workforce housing? Mm. You know, for as a platform, we've evolved from solving affordable with a capital A to a lowercase a. And I am a you know massive believer that we are going to be the nation's largest provider for workforce housing. Like I love to say that you know we provide essential housing for essential uh, workers. Because if you think about those are the people that make between 17 and 35, 40 dollars an hour, mm-hmm. like you said earlier, nobody's building for that. Right. So here we have investment class investors that are realizing that it is highly lucrative um, and they get to solve a social problem at the same time. But their portfolio grows and they can grow it using a Burr model that has you know, ceased to exist <laughs> because you weren't getting enough revenue on the backside. You know, but our model allows for you to continue to acquire even during really challenging economic times like this, where your wealth grows, but you're continuing to add on supply for those that are working in your neighborhoods and communities. Um, And then they'll continue to acquire when everybody else has stopped. You know, so when the hedge funds stop buying, there's less competition. So like all these things that people are terrified of on, on the news, we look at those as tailwinds. You know, our investors are finding less competition for the acquisition, and then they're getting smarter about how to get it uh, through the underwriting. So like Beth says, now we're incorporating wholesalers and they're getting better deals or they're getting MLS deals that they can negotiate down. They're getting better at the construction. They understand that you can amortize a bathroom and Mm -hmm. you're getting 50 percent more rent than you were before. Like people are figuring out how to evolve into becoming a great operator using our asset class. Um, as the place to do it. Yeah. And that that's really cool because I've seen on the Airbnb world, I have a few short-term rentals myself. I've seen folks where they theme out their homes and sometimes in the Airbnb world, they actually think bedrooms are the most important because you got to get more heads and beds. But like Beth said, she talked about the bathroom is actually the real premium when it comes to this model. So it's almost a flipped way of thinking about this. And maybe uh, if I were to ask you another question, Quentin, is what have you seen? And I think what I'm trying to do here is lay out the path for smaller investors so that they understand like, Hey, okay, great. I could go get one home on passport right now. Maybe I'll scale up to five. Like Beth says, some of her investors do, but what's sort of my end goal? Like I think you mentioned on your platform, you have folks with a lot of doors. So <laughs> I'm interested to hear about their stories from you about like, Hey, how did they go from one little thing to a really, really big portfolio? Like were they trying to become a brand? Were they trying to, say, hey, this is our model and we want to be above and go above and beyond for our guests. What have you seen succeed that have been successful tactically from your investors? So we're a marketplace, you know, very similar to Airbnb. Um, And in that marketplace, it attracts entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs have their own view of how they want to go ahead and utilize the platform in the best way they can. This influx that we've seen of uh, STR, short-term rental Airbnb hosts that are coming on, it's such a welcome breath of fresh air for us because they're bringing the end focus being the member experience. So it talks about what does it look like uh, on the move-in experience? You know, like I think about some of the best Airbnbs I've stayed at where they've already answered all the questions that I brought to the table. And fundamentally for every member or new member that comes and, and stays in a pad split, those same questions exist. You know, where should I shop? Where are the closest places? You know, where, where, do, where do I go, um, you know, to, to the bus stop or all these questions that you have, those hosts are providing that information for you. 
you know, and then it all goes upstream to I selected this property because I understood who's going to be working here, who's going to be living here. And our tenure, it's, it's almost eight and a half months. So it's not short term by any means. You know, so it allows for people to understand that, like, this is a medium to long term rental option for working folks that are deciding that they want to do something better with their life. Like the, the statistics you were talking about earlier, most people pay more than 50 percent of their income on housing. So if you're a single working employee, um, you can bring that back down to 42 to, you know, instead of being 55%, you're looking at like 42% of your take-home income or less um, because you pay on a weekly rate that ties back into to how you're paid. Um, and it allows you to kind of use that excess or flow to, to improve your life. So I have several members that I know that since they came, They've gotten promoted. They've gotten the ability to, to lease a car. And then they realize that where they work, showing up every day is a massive, massive <laughs> benefit. So they get promoted, but they've learned that they don't have to be sheep, right? They can think outside the box mm. and say, wait a minute, because I'm getting paid you know, $60,000 a year, why should I then fall back into the habit of paying 55, 60% of my income for housing? So they continue to stay. They may transfer within our platform to a smaller house in a better neighborhood, but they're still uh, keeping those same savings. You know, our ultimate, you know, pie in the sky North Star is for that same member to save enough money, get an FHA loan, house hack, and then mm. start there on the path of a different, you know, path than they thought they originally started. And they leverage housing as a vehicle to do that. Yeah, and that's really cool because I saw that you guys actually report the tenants' payments to the credit bureau, so that they actually get to build the credit, which is cr uh, hugely beneficial to the tenants because that allows them to do what you said, let's say qualify for a FHA loan or some kind of residential loan, so that when they want to build their wealth and buy their home and have you know accomplish chase the American dream of owning a, a home ownership that's available to them. So that's super cool. Um, Beth, I think we're getting to the point where we want to actually get into the numbers. So Beth, maybe let's start with you. I want to talk about numbers for some of the few deals that you've done. And then maybe we'll come back to Quentin because I, I think we want to ask Quentin, like, hey, well, for some of the people out there, like how do they research what, how much they can make on Patsport, right? I think that's a really, really good question. So Beth, let's start with you first. What, tell us about a deal that you recently done and what did the numbers look like from purchase price, renovations, mm -hmm. like the average weekly rents and what your PITIs and operating costs. Cause we, I think the listeners would find that really, really beneficial to kind of get into those details there. Yeah. And I want to stress again, that every city is going to be different and operating expenses are going to vary a little bit city by city um, as well as insurance and taxes. So I tend to work with investors who use either DSCR loans or conventional um, if I have somebody who's creative financing and using hard money, I'm looking for more of a flip, right? Like I'm looking for a property that's far more distressed where the ARV would be there because you're never going to pull out money like a flip. You're, you're going to be leaving money in a deal. So for me, the easiest, most simple way to pad split, in my opinion, is if you are a conventional or DSCR at that 20, 25% down. Um, and so for me, I've created a one-stop shop for my investors. Like I partner with the pad split GC, stager, outfitter, property manager. So because I've created this incredible framework, the investors come to me and it's 
as passive as I've ever, it's more passive than anything I've ever seen other than a REIT or a syndicate. But these wow. returns are so much better and you wow. own this by yourself. So you're making all the money. So I want to, first of all, I'll talk about my pad split, which is a smaller pad split. Um, and I'm about to put an offer on, on another one, but because, because once you start, it's like getting a tattoo, like you, you're like addicted. So um, I went with a smaller home and obviously because I've seen this done so many times that I, I know in my mind where I was looking, it was a little bit of a newer uh, position for pad split inventory. Um, I'm always looking to land near like if you can land near an Amazon warehouse, like a Google facility or a farm. Um, there's a big farm by where I bought mine. So just think about who the end user is by assisted living facilities, um, colleges, people that are 55 plus, like think about who the end user might be for this. I know you guys talked about Passport as a stepping stone, but I, Atticus speaks uh, beautifully on LinkedIn about like the forever renter. And so like I have members in my house that are 65, like on SSDI. So, you know, there are people that, that really are going to forever rent and Passport's going to provide, um, you know, a safe, nice place for them to have forever. Um, and I loved how Quentin, how you touched on staying in the marketplace and how you can freely move from one pad split to another as your life ebbs and flows. So the house that I found was 275,000, which is a really low dollar amount in my market. It was a three bedroom, two bath in this place called Plant City that I love. Um, I went conventional 20%, so $55,000 down. And we were going to take this house from a three bedroom, two bathroom to a five bedroom, three bathroom. So mm -hmm. one of them is an ensuite. The other bathroom is Jack and Jill doesn't have any hall access. It Jack and Jill's right into bedrooms two and three. And then the living room and the other bedroom that we created would share the third bathroom. The house is really nice. It was built in 2007. Um, we did have to put a new HVAC in. It had a 200 amp panel. It had a tankless water heater, which I'm not a fan of for pad split, but it was only going to be five bedrooms. So we stuck with it for now. We did replace the HVAC again, only five bedrooms. So three tons is more than enough. I was all into this house for $92,000. So that includes my down payment, closing costs, the conversion, the furnishing, I bring my stager in. I, I want to bring in my STR skill set into pad splits, which is why my pad split investors generally make pretty high numbers on the platform oh. because I just married those two strategies. So even though my GC is doing the furniture and we've really upgraded our furniture over the months that we're learning and you know changing things, I do bring my stager in to then dress the bedrooms for the photography because you want people to see exactly where they're going to stay with the artwork, the lighting, what types of furniture in the rooms. So I was in for $92,000 um, because it was a very quick conversion. I closed on the house on February 28th. Okay. By March 20th, my wow. house was hitting the platform. So it was three weeks. Now, the average investor on your first property, don't expect that. My guys, we mm -hmm. carry for seven to eight weeks. And if you're doing more of a flip, carry eight to 12 weeks. But if not you're it. converting a house into a small conversion or you're not adding a bathroom, um, but for me, again, because I put a lot of these on the platform, I was already 10 steps ahead of everyone else. So three weeks, I'm on the platform. So before my first mortgage payment even hits, I am cash flow. <laughs> so let's talk about that. 
because an ensuite will get rented within, they'll tell you one to three days and I'm gonna tell you ensuites get rented within hours. They go on the platform and they are scooped up immediately because they are a hot commodity. So, but it does, my investors, we average about four weeks to hit 100% occupancy. But remember, mm -hmm. you're starting to cash flow the minute people start to move in. And the host sets the move-in fee, which is really important to know as well, because why can't some of these people afford rent? Because they have to pay first, last, and security. We don't mm -hmm. have that with PadSplit. And so my move-in fees are $100 or less per room. Yep, so they're in like Flynn. So my ensuite rents for 270 a week. Bedroom, wow. the two bedrooms with the Jack and Jill, 229 and 228. Uh, the bigger bedroom that was created out of the living room is at 220. And then my very small room is at 200. So I do a 49 week uh, gross because of vacancy. So Pascal has an attainable occupancy rate of about 94%. Um, so I just take 49 weeks. So if I was making uh, 49 weeks, my house grosses $56,203. My operating expenses are 30%. And it's 30% for most of my investors, but I need everyone to understand that mm -hmm. does not have debt service, taxes, or insurance. This is like pure operating. The 15% pad split, my property management layer, my water, sewer, trash, utilities, electric, internet, lawn, turnovers, cleaning. I have accounted for every single penny. My, uh, I have ring cameras on every single exit. That's a hundred a month. So I'm at 30%. So 30% expenses are 16,860. My PITI is $19,200. So I am netting on this five bedroom, three bathroom house. I'm net netting. $20,143 per year. It's a 20% cash on cash return. So I was all in for 92. I'm netting 20. But now let's talk about this for a second. I bought this house for 275. It appraised mm. for 282. I've only owned this for four months. Right now it's already worth 320 because I'm a realtor and I really know what mm. I'm doing. And so for me, this house is a, all of my packets are a five-year hold. And this is what I tell my clients. It's five years unless I call you and tell you otherwise. We are buying in Tampa in neighborhoods that are gentrifying at a faster rate. So mm -hmm. it might be cost-effective in three to four years to look and see, hey, maybe we should convert this back to an SFH. But for everyone else, this is a five-year hold. And when I look at the long-term equity play of where I'm gonna be at in five years, uh, it is phenomenal that I'm cash flowing at such a high level and then my equity play is there. So if I, if I wanted to refi this in one year, I would then have enough money to buy another pad split. P.S. at $92,000, I'm, I'm literally three months, I'm, I'm ready for my next one without touching equity from any of my houses. Um, I'm just going right for my next one. I, I like to leave equity in the house as long as possible unless I think the market's going to shift and we should pull it out. So that's just one one example, I mean, I can give another one. I don't want to talk too much. I have, I have millions of these examples. This is all I do. But that's crazy. That's only a five, three. I can't imagine some of the numbers you talk about, like a six bedroom or three or seven bedroom, right? I'm not talking about the eight, nine, tens, because that seems like it, it might be a little crowded. But Beth, that those are numbers are incredible because for investors out there that are looking for yield on their investments right now, at 20% cash and cash, where else are you going to get that? And you get to be in a high appreciating market like Tampa with tons of population growth, tons of job growth. So those fundamentals still exist. 
So getting cash flow and appreciation, that's like the best of both worlds. So we used, to have, we used to be in that world, right? Yeah. Like we used to live in that world. This is why we all bought SFHs. This is why we were in multifamily yeah. because we were getting a 10 cap and we were growing exponentially. And, and, but now that cycle is changing and things are changing. So now we have to shift. And how special is it that we are now looking at this inventory, but getting these multifamily level returns on inventory that we can acquire for a fraction of that cost. Yeah. And I could just see this turning into the whole mantra behind why Airbnbs got popular was because they provide a cash flow in markets that you normally don't cash flow. This is a, an amazing investment strategy for auto listeners to consider because this is, this is it. Like you, you don't have to put a, a listing on Airbnb and wait three months and hopefully it's not slow season and, you know, hope and pray that it gets booked and hope that people like your design. There's actual demand here. So Quinta, let's bring you back on. Uh, I want to talk to you about well, Beth just went through some numbers for Tampa, but for mm -hmm. other investors out there like that don't live in Tampa, they're like, oh, this doesn't apply to me. But it absolutely does. Like, how can are there any rules of thumb that you recommend for investors out there to look at to estimate what they can get for average rents per week uh, with bathrooms? I mean, with ensuite bathrooms and without ensuite bathrooms, any tips you can provide there for the listeners? Sure. Um, we have an entire sales organization that's designed around helping, um, you know, hold hands of, of investors coming inbound. Um, the rule of thumb for me, and I think this applies, and I've learned this in the real estate space that you guys all live in, it's just math. Right? <laughs> it's the simplest way of saying it is that like every deal has to pencil. And, uh, and uh, for, you know, retail investors that are coming into our platform, that's one of the first conversations we have is that you, you know, understand what the returns that you're seeking, what our typical returns are, and how we get there through our underwriting. So if you are geographically agnostic, you know, we can talk about markets like Tampa and Atlanta and Texas and Houston, mm -hmm. and we understand what those historical numbers are. But we've got, and, and, you know, there's different factors. Like if you're trying to limit the amount of dollars that you're putting into a deal, you know, I look at Baltimore and my mind is blown that you can acquire row houses in Baltimore, fully renovated at, to a pad split for $100,000, $110,000. You've got four bedrooms in there, you know, average rent between seven and $800. Dollar for dollar into that deal, you can buy a city block for the same person that was buying a house in Vegas, right? So you're, it's just an understanding of what the math and how to underwrite it correctly. Um, we have an earnings calculator on our website. That's a really simple way of doing it. But I think there's a lot more nuanced um, to understand kind of what each deal looks like. And what Beth was talking about before of, of, you know, how she has her own platform and how she has her own, her tribe, as she likes to call it, you know, um, in our world, we're a platform. So those same ideas resonate across our entire platform. So we've got preferred vendors that um, are wholesalers. We have preferred vendors that are realtors. We have preferred vendors that are GCs all the way down to the last mile vendors that, that are typically staging companies like, like Beth. These are learnings that we learned from, from you know, hosts like Beth that said, this is what I'm doing. Um, and because our community is what it is, we share it with those that are here. I mean, like Our best practices are designed for the best returns for the member and the best returns for the host. Um, and like I've said it before, like I've always been an entrepreneur. And no matter where I've worked before, somebody kind of got the short end of the straw. Um, because I was either buying something from somebody and selling it to somebody else. And in the middle, I made my living. But here, um, 
the investor gets their, their 18 to 25% cash on cash return, right? 11 to 15% unlevered. And then you're looking at folks that, that across the board, the housing supply that we provide, there is no other supply on the market in our price point um, where the folks that, that are living with you, you know, they all have to pass the same rigorous background check. They all have to have the same rigorous income verification. Um, and then because, you know, this is a platform, Beth as the host or any other host, they have the ability to set their standards for how they want and what they want for that person to be in their house with. You know, so we have investors that they want to primarily work with 55 and older. You know, they, they, they have a nuanced set of how they think their thesis is working around. And, um, and we as a platform just try to listen to what those hosts are saying and then try to add value to there. You know, like I, I'll, I'll talk to you about we have employer affiliations and programs that we've started because our value proposition is different to them, but it resonates. Right. Like our average members, they'll stay 10 months. A typical employer, their employee, you know, they have a 90-day term rate. Where for us, you know, if, if you partner with us and your employees choose to, to, you know, take advantage of that and choose housing, um, they stay. So the, the benefit to the employer is reduced operating costs, right? Reduced turnover, reduced recruiting. Um, and they recognize that in this world of quiet quitting, you know, those little things are really valuable uh, to their business as well. Yeah, I think it's super cool that you guys actually have dedicated sales reps um, or sales organization that supports the underwriting for any sort of prospective investors because this stuff is so different in every market. And pricing is such a huge, huge lever that you can pull to that drastically affects your profitability. Um, Beth, maybe we'll come back to you because I'm wondering... When you first started on Passport, like how did you decide like what you were gonna rent for? Did you look at like comparable studios? You must have been like thinking to yourself, like, oh man, what if I charge too much? What if I charge too little and I leave money on the table? Right. I'm sure all these thoughts went through your head. How did you approach that? Um, I was thinking with my STR mindset, like through and through, I, you know, it, there was no way we were gonna underprice. I will always mm. overprice and then change pricing if things aren't working. But I know that to bring in the right type of members that me and my clients wanted, we were going to price higher. We were also going to deliver a beautiful product. Um, and so for me, what I started to do was look at what I looked in multifamily and I was just looking on like duplexes, tries, quads, and I was looking at what they were renting for per unit. And so then I was kind of breaking it down into a, what would it be by the room? Um, and listen, Atlanta had already been going for four years almost. So Atlanta came to me and they were like, listen, Beth, we believe the numbers are going to be, and they were super conservative. They were like between like 183 and 200 a week. And I was like, nah, I don't really think that's what it's going to be. I'm like, I think it's going to be 212 to like 240. And they were like, nah, we definitely don't agree, but listen, let's try it out and see what happens. And so, um, what we found now is that the en suites in my market are really, they're all going for 260, 270. If it's a bigger room, closer to Tampa, 300. We're seeing these amazing guys in Vegas who converted dentist offices into efficiencies. They're crushing it in that market. They're 2Xing what the normal efficiency would be. You're always thinking like, okay, well, this is furnished. And I know that furnished rental comps rent higher. Um, and I'm just in my mind, I'm always doing the math and I'm thinking, well, we include the utilities, we include internet 
These are things, so there's, there's no way that a member isn't getting a better deal. And in my mind, I'm like, okay, well, what if, what if they could achieve that just having one roommate and getting like an apartment? It, I go back to that first, last insecurity. Because if the average rent is $2,100, you're coming up with almost seven Gs just to move in. And I can bet you that these guys don't have that money. So for me, it was just a matter of making sure it was beautiful. Let's test higher. And that's exactly what we did. Um, and right away, my first two hosts on the platform and right away, we're averaging um, 226 and 229 per room. Wow. So Kent, to that point, you know, one thing that we have is data. Mm-hmm. And the, that's that's what we've come to understand. You know, that, that same model as Tesla, it's not a car company, right? It's a data company. For us, nobody's doing what we're doing at this scale. So one thing that we do is we share data. We share data with all of our members. We share data with our hosts, not members, but I'm saying like from the investment side, when the hosts come to us and say, what is my market? We give them as much data as possible. Because here's one thing that we as a platform have realized is if you go out and buy an $800,000 house and then come to me and say, I need to rent this room for $499, I can't help you at that point, right? But for the real estate investor, if I give you the numbers um, of what the market comps look like for rent, weekly rent, you can back into your underwriting. You can back into your financing so that the deal pencils for you. So that's one thing that we've gotten so much better at is tell us what data that you're looking for. Um, and then with each iteration, we provide that to the next host. And then that same model of what an air DNA does, you know, I, I joke that we have an air pad split is that nobody has our data, but us, you know, how do we, how do we uh, distill it so that investors can make actionable decisions? Right. And I think that's where one, now that our listeners have heard like, Hey, this is how Beth actually went about the market and did her research and looked at multifamily and they said, Hey, let me go for a more premium product. Let me provide a better experience and let me see how I can charge a premium rate for it. Quentin also has his team where they are willing and able to provide you with data in that market. So now for your investors, right? Fear should always not be an excuse anymore because you have the data to not only verify with pad split and even you don't believe pad split, you look at Beth, who is a successful pad split investor, and now you can really compare and contrast like, hey, what do I believe this property can rent? And what's my worst case scenario? And you just go on from there. It's like Quentin said, it's just math. If, yeah. if the deal pencils, it's just pencils, but you got to back into it. So you recognize what's a deal and what's not. And you can always stress test your underwriting with basically what uh, Beth and Quentin has provided you in terms of data. So I love that point, Quentin. Um, absolutely love it. Well, I want to talk a little bit about, I know there's going to be some frequently asked questions that you guys must get. So Beth, maybe I'll start with you first in terms of like, well, you have five, six, seven people living together. Do you see people arguing, fighting? Like what does your tenant base look like? And do you, have you ever run into any issues like that? Oh yeah. Listen, it's when you have multiple people in a home, obviously there's going to be some, you know, issues that have to be mitigated. Um, But for the most part in my homes and in my investors' homes, everybody gets on really well because we're eliminating common space in most houses, except for the kitchen and an eating area, maybe some outside, you know, depending on the market. But so when you don't have this common space to hang out and everyone has house rules, um, you know, Pazlip provides you with the rules, but as a host, I'm allowed to provide my own rules as well. Um, But I think what investors really need to know is that, number one, 
I don't have to deal with any of this. Padsplit deals with it. And their app is so user-friendly, but like that's part of that 15%, the 12% plus the swipe credit card fee. That's part of what you're paying for. And then I layer in property management. So the job of my property manager is to read those maintenance tickets. I obviously read them because I want to keep eyes on what's going on in my house. Um, but this is, this is one of the most hands-off passive investments for the, for the owner, for the investor that exists. I mean, sure there's, you know, Joey might've eaten my food or somebody's untidy in the laundry area. Passport has a three key rule similar to three strikes and you're out. Mm. Um, and so look, I have a member that, that got a key, got his first key the other night. And, you know, at the end of the day, he was not being tidy in common areas. And I'm pretty strict on my house rules um, because I want to think about the space that I'm creating mm -hmm. for all the other members. I want mm -hmm. them to be happy. Um, and I'm also a really cool host. Like every month I send either like an edible arrangement or like a pizza. Oh. Like I send it to my house because, and they love it. They submit maintenance tickets just to say thank you. So <laughs> for me, like, yeah. So, I, so, so I want everyone to stay happy and take care of my home. And also if, if you're doing those little things like the edible arrangement or a little pizza party or bagels or whatever, when something bad does happen, like one of my hosts, um, his remote lock, just a freak thing, his remote mm -hmm. lock stopped working. He has an eight bedroom, three bath. He nets 3000 a month, by the way, on a $300,000 investment. Um, two of the members were locked out in their bathrobes for like two hours. Thank God we live in Tampa. Mm -hmm. And it, you know, so I, he was, of course, he lives in Texas, the investor. So he was calling me freaking out. I was like, listen, send them some, some thank you. I'm sorry. Like send them a little gift basket. Mm -hmm. So you, know, you take good care of them. So when things happen, it's not, you know, as big of a deal. Think, also think about regular landlords, y'all. When you live in an apartment, whether it's single family, multifamily apartment building, how fast does a maintenance guy get back to you? Sometimes never, sometimes with really <laughs> serious issues too. Yeah. So think about this, this is really like an Airbnb experience in the sense mm -hmm. that we are aiming for those five-star reviews and experiences every single day from our members. And Padsplit often sends them their surveys to rank us. So, and so you see, I just got one today. You wanna know how you're performing. Um, so yeah, that, that's for me, that fear is, it's just not anything that should be on an investor's list of worry. We get questions like how many evictions are there? Mm -hmm. It has what? 2.4% eviction rate, 97% collection rate. Let's focus on wow. that. Right. Seriously. Uh, you know, they're really solving a problem in a safe environment and creating a great experience. For me, this is a win-win for the investor and the member. Yeah, that is so cool. That's a great tip right there on setting edible arrangements. Uh, that is definitely going above and beyond. I feel like it's like a Ritz Carlton experience almost, right? So I love that. Uh, Quentin, you and I talked briefly about like little tips and tricks that you have told hosts you like labeling cabinets and stuff like that. Like, are there any tricks like that that the listeners should implement or consider so that they their path split investment can stand out from other folks? So um, I'll talk about that one. I love that one, by the way. It's um, we we have a, a host that's been doing this since the beginning, and and she's an operator. She understands that when you have six, seven people living in the same house, um, the days to turn, right? If somebody moves out, you're not cleaning the entire house. Um, the room turn is for the room that that the person stayed in and the common space that that um, our people are moving into. And one of the things that she found was that. If she labeled the cabinets and then labeled a, a shelf on the, in the refrigerator, um, when the, the the cleaning crew came, they knew 
that room two had left. So they can, you know, just easily clean out those cabinets and that, that refrigerator shelf because nobody really claims the to-go box has been sitting there for three or four days, right? Um, the other one is, is property management is so big on our platform because you're so hands-on, you know? So whenever we go into a market, we don't go into a market unless we properly train and have property managers that want to participate in our space, you know, and, and, and that just means that they're just so hands on in terms of what the property looks like, what's going on in the dynamics of the property, that it allows for us to be successful. Our platform allows for anything that you don't require feet into the house, we handle. So the talked about like the three pillars of our platform are, you know, we fill the house with quality demand, with quality members, and then we collect at a 97.5% rate. Um, for folks that are making less than $60,000 a year, you know, and then the, the other, uh, the big thing is we have an entire uh, member uh, mobile app and a platform where it's, it's communication between members and the communication between the members and our platform and the members and the host. So somebody said if it was a, a standard single family rental, it could be a month and a half later before you somebody finds out they're not going to pay. You know, in our world, it's one week, one week, one day, we know that you're behind. So we mitigate that, you know, and if there's a leak in the in the bathroom, we know because there's six people that are complaining about it. So they put in a maintenance ticket. You know, our, our average days to tickets, it's 24 hour requirements for the PM to respond so they can triage it so much faster. You know, so things don't evolve into to, to large problems. We catch it early because the visibility is there. Got it. And Quentin, are you guys actually training like an everyday host, like beginner host on what good property management looks like? I, I just want to make sure I understand, like, are you guys teaming up with professional property management companies or yeah. just teaching the investors what to do or both? Both sides, because the host has to know the host is, is for us. The host is the investor. And then we have the property manager. The host has to know what to expect. If they're a retail investor and they come into the space and and they're super excited about returns and returns and returns. Um, we actually have to get under the hood and, and actually have to explain, hey, listen, this is what you're paying for. This is the expectation that, that you have to set. And then this is what the, the property managers should deliver up to. Because we're, we're uh, property management or, or you know, vendor agnostic, uh, we give you in, information that you can action off of. So when we talk to hosts, this is how many days it took for your house to, uh, to turn. So if your property manager is taking six days to turn a property because they're trying to save dollars and and have mm. you know wait for the next cleaning person that goes back every three weeks, that's silly because those are opportunity days lost, right? So they get visibility into that where they can then challenge the the property managers to do a better job. Um, so for us, it's you know it's two days on average to turn a room. Wow. So from the from the investor standpoint. Um, your occupancy is high and we, we do a really good job of reducing vacancies. Um, when I came, like I, I'm such a mercenary, like I, I care about operational efficiency and I care about revenue, you know, and I think by doing so our platform grows and the greater good for affordable housing grows as a result. But if it's not a good investment run correctly, there's no desire for Beth to want to, you know, expand her portfolio to 15, 20 houses. So how do we get that as efficient as possible is, is where I spend most of my day. But, you know, those are the things that by providing that data, you know, that the individual investors, they can go back and hold people accountable for, for what's going on in their investments. Yeah, I just absolutely love the transparency you guys are providing to your investors because 
how how does a new investor know what good looks like? And you're telling them this is what good looks like. It's not turning a property in three weeks like a regular long term rental where you got to go in there and paint everything. It's like turning around a room should be a lot faster. Um, Beth, I want to bring you back in and ask you like, do you have any other tips and tricks? Like, do you label your cabinets by the way? Like, I'm really interested in hearing about this and how. Uh, let's let's take a two part question. One, what tips and tricks do you have? And then secondly, I really want to understand like how does for the listeners out there, you have pad split management. You just mentioned like you're taking care of some issues. You have property management. I think we want to get into that a little bit about how do you actually manage your properties. But let's start with I don't know any other tips and tricks that you recommend that you implement into your properties. Yeah, of course. I think so. For me, um, when Quentin was talking about like labeling cabinets, so I provided like clear baskets and big gray baskets and every room when they came in like it was on their bed with also a two-page welcome letter from me telling them about how I've lived in 13 different places and like it brings me so much joy to be able to do this for them but also like if I have to come to the property and have a conversation with anyone it's not going to be a good day but so like I laid out the rules I was like look at the end of the day this is about respecting the space of everyone in this home and protecting my home um, so that I can keep providing this kind of shelter and service for everyone so um, baskets um, expectations having your house clearly labeled I again like I brought in that STR mentality so I did outfit a lot of my kitchen I didn't go crazy but I definitely did basic supplies from cleaning supplies pots and pans there's a lot of stuff that pad split will have you do everything from first aid kits fire extinguishers so all that stuff is there I put a fire blanket life back like all I want all that stuff in my house so everyone feels safe Um, I have one of the best property managers in the world, which is, and I was introduced to him because of a pad split networking meetup. (laughs) Cause the person I had partnered with originally, I partnered with based on cost because in in the Mm. beginning I was like, this is all numbers, numbers, numbers. And I wanted to really, and I was like, well, pad split does so much. Like, what are we really paying these property managers to do when Mm. they're really just doing property maintenance and they're really outsourcing it at that. So when I met the property manager that my clients and I utilize now, um, he's the most incredible person in the world. Once a month, he's physically in our pad splits. Once wow. a month. So, and when I tell you the amount of houses he has, it is insanity. So it's him, his wife, he's about to bring on some more staff now. So once a month, he's in the house. So he can tell you every single member. Um, if the host wants to be very hands-off, then the property manager has a lot more control with the listing, the copy, the photos, the tickets. Like I have investors who will never look at anything except their payout dashboard. And they'll give their PMs all of the functions where Mm. I consider myself a little bit of a hybrid. And then I also have hosts, investors who don't use that layer of PM. um, And they rely on having like one tenant in the house, one of the members, maybe they'll give a discounted rate to, to be their eyes and ears, maybe they're handy. I think if you're not going to use PM uh, and if you're not in state, you absolutely have to have a handyman cleaning Mm -hmm. service. Like you need to have that set up. This is just like an STR investment out of state. You have to have the right property management company um, to get it all done. I'm always thinking about lighting, parking, furnishings. Like I want bathrooms. I want things to look really nice and pretty and be comfortable. Like I have two members who office out of the house and they didn't. And so I've set up a workspace desks in every room but the stools that we used weren't comfortable. I wouldn't want to sit on one of those if I was working from home eight mm. hours a day. So they submitted a ticket because we generally don't let members bring outside furniture into our pad split homes. Um, so they submitted a ticket. 
And my PM called and said, you know, what do you want to do? And I said, look, if they want to bring their own office chairs, like I didn't really feel like dropping 600 bucks on two office chairs. I said, if they want to bring a chair that's more comfortable to them, I said, if, if they are staying in the house at six months, at eight months, at 10 months, mm. they haven't missed the payment, 100% for Christmas, they're getting chairs delivered with a red bow. Wow. That, I think that is- internet, yeah, internet is key. Like if you have a big house or large mm. square footage, you, internet is a must, but internet having like the extenders throughout mm-hmm. your house and paying for a lot of, um, bandwidth because even though 84% of people work outside of the house and have vehicles, like there are people who work from home, people who need internet. And listen, there are some people who, who don't really leave their passport room and like to play games and stuff. So you've got to have amazing internet and Wi-Fi. Yeah. So don't cheap out on the internet guys. Um, that, that is just so key. And Beth, we got some live listeners just saying how awesome you are for dropping all these gems like on LinkedIn, on Facebook, they're just saying how awesome you are. Um, and maybe one question is like, I think this is a two part question. They want to know like, how does the relationship actually work between a, uh, homeowner and pad split? Are they, are they subletting it to Pat? Uh, are they master leasing it to pad split or are can folks like if they're renting a single family home can they sublet it on pad split? any sort of answers that you guys can provide on this front yeah I mean, it, you want to take that one yeah um the individual investor um we call them host they own the actual property right so they would be the the, the ultimately the host that's actually responsible for the property itself um they they get a lease for um, a single lease with us as, as the platform. Um, and then the individual members have, um, have a membership agreement, right? That's kind of how it's legally structured. But it, in the way it kind of works in the world is the individual host owns a property and maintains the property. They leverage and pay, you know, our platform mm-hmm. fees for the services that we provide. Um, and then all the data and everything that goes with it. So there is no master lease. There is no, um, it's not, you know, sublet to us to manage. So, you know, that the actual investor is the, the, the end operator for us. Got it. Got it. And we got questions about parking. What Mm. do you guys recommend for parking? Because it seems like, Hey, when there's four or five people, sometimes you run out of space and now you're trying to balance between, do I convert the garage to extra bedrooms or do why create a terrible experience? (laughs) There you go. So here's the deal, even because number one, the app will tell the member. And and when people want to look at what these, like how they should be doing stuff, go on the Padsplit website, Mm. look at the rooms in the cities, the same way you would look at an Airbnb. So that's the first stop. Look at what everyone else is doing and how they're pricing them. But for parking, of course, I want to find six out of six, seven out of seven. In a perfect world, that'll happen. This is in the perfect world. And so on the app, the parking space is, it, it is a first come first serve with the room assignments. So if oh. I'm bedroom number seven and there's only five parking spots and bedrooms one through five are taken, the app says to me, this room does not come with a parking spot. So oh. if you have a car, like you're not bringing it on premises and you, you know, you might scout the area. Like for me, there isn't street parking in my neighborhoods because the streets aren't wide enough like that. But in my neighborhoods of pad splits, we see a lot of lawn parking, which in some cities that would not fly. So you mm, need to understand yeah. your own city codes and regulations. But you know, when you go into these heavily rented areas, there's like four and five cars jammed onto driveways. Those are great pad split areas. Never, like, I hate to use a double negative, but never not convert. Like convert, unless it's gonna like make the house too cramped. But mm. if you have that garage space, 
don't keep it for the car. Make it, make it for the member for sure. Absolutely. That just makes a ton of sense too, because it just like, that is almost that's money generating space that you clearly have a shell for. And it does not make sense to not take advantage of that opportunity. Um, cool. I think we, those are most of the questions that we have from the live audience. So this is the part that I'm getting to important. This is like my favorite part of the podcast because I get to ask this question to everyone that comes on the podcast. And particularly, like, I want to get to know from the both of you, why do each of you think affordable housing is, particularly the lack of supply of affordable housing, is so hard to solve for? And I know you guys are taking steps towards it right now, but maybe, Quentin, I'll start with you and I'll end with Beth on this one. Quentin, why do you think affordable housing is so hard to solve for? I would love to kind of pick your brain and get your sense of, like, how you assess the problem and what you think is a good solution. Um, that's interesting. So my experience being an, an entrepreneur and an owner of a business was housing led to so many problems with my employees, right? So it's always been an, an underlying factor for that. Um, and then it ties back into, I'm not paid enough. I need to get paid more because I need to live somewhere else. Or could you sign, you know, a security, you know, for me when I get into my apartment? Um, ultimately that's, that's always existed. Since I've gotten into this space, what I've realized is um, the numbers just don't match, right? So for developers that want to come out and put put um, developments out into new cities, they want to put these big multifamily developments out there. The baseline cost is like three fifty for for a townhouse or an apartment, you know, single family living. Nobody is building for an entire working class of folks that that are in our communities working. So. For us, you know, that's the beauty of what we do and, and kind of why we're trying to, to take our approach on, on, you know, being part of the solution for it. Um, you know, it, the service industry isn't going anywhere. I don't care how many little robot waiters you see on people's <laughs> TikToks, right? Like, like, I grew up working through every restaurant as a busboy, a bar back and, and everything in their mother. And it taught me all the life lessons that I needed to be to be successful the rest of my life. I force my kids to go down that path, right? It's like they've got to live somewhere um, and nobody's solving for it. It, it. There isn't one solution for it, I guess is the easiest way I like to say it, right? So if everybody takes their their shovel and, and takes a scoop of dirt, um, we can solve for it in a piecemeal way, right? And I think that's one of the, the ideas that PadSplit brings is that this is our take on our solution for workforce housing um, and we're doing our part. So that's yeah. that's kind of what I think about in terms of the, the massive disparity between 14 and a half million people that are, are, you know, TAM and then the folks that, you know, what housing is currently available for them. Um, it doesn't exist. Yeah. And I think this is why we started this podcast, right, Quentin? It's how do you recognizing how big of a problem this is? How do you get everyone involved? Like, because for some folks. You should talk about development. That's way beyond someone's head. They, they just think development is just like a, a hole in the, in, the, in the floor. And they're like, oh, I see some dirt. That's a development. But they don't know actually how to do it. But you guys are bringing a solution that it's almost mainstream where people can actually pick it up and understand like, oh, okay, I can understand a fall to this model. I can start implementing and contribute to to solving for the problem. So Beth, I, I want to hear from your perspective. Like you're a realtor, you're out there in the world dealing with a lot of investors, working with the retail markets. What what are you seeing? What do you think? Why do you think affordable housing is so hard to solve for? I'd love to hear your perspective on this. I think it's hard to solve for when we can't define affordable and we have a very mm. uh, old school definition of housing. 
So like just the term housing, no one wants to think outside the box and push the envelope of how we can restructure housing. Like even if you take Padlet out of the equation for a second, even when you think about like those NIMBY mindsets and when we try to get more dense housing, more multifamily, like multi-generational under one roof, let's, you know, build higher, people fight it. Like, like no one has the wherewithal to think outside the box on just the term housing and what it might look like. Or when we see other countries, when people are kind of like packed into, you know, condensed housing, we think that's crazy because Americans are super gluttonous in how much space we use and what we think that we need. And when we try to define the term affordable, I mean, that's a problem too. What's affordable for a developer? What's affordable for a person? And, and listen, if you think we're going to solve affordable by offering these developers just these small tiffs or incentives, we're never going to meet the demand of housing. And of course, they're always going to build to meet the demand of that middle class to upper because everyone needs to get paid and make the returns. Um, you know, when we think about the term affordable, oftentimes people think it's a hand out instead of an outstretched arm and pulling you up. Right. Like it's just our mindset that affordable housing is like a, a tough thing to think about because everybody wants to blame everyone. Like suddenly the landlords and the developers are greedy and the politicians aren't doing the right thing. Like it's it's this big mess. And if everyone could just step outside of the equation for a minute, like if we change the word affordable to essential. I think just in, in Quinton, we, we've been talking about that essential housing for essential people. If we just took the term affordable and changed it to essential what is your mindset around that now, right? If we took the term housing out and said dwellings, essential dwellings, might we think of the problem with different eyes? It's sometimes as simple as changing our mindset to start solving for a problem that is going to continue to evolve. So our problem-solving skill set has to be as agile as the definition that we're trying to solve for. Wow. I absolutely love that metaphor, Beth, about it's not a handout. It's extending the handout and pulling everyone out. That is great. I haven't heard that one before. I hope that I'm definitely cutting that clip of that and putting it <laughs> everywhere. Like that is genius because I think the way you, you, you both are recharacterizing affordable housing is so important because sometimes with the word affordable housing, folks instantly think of auto stigmas, guns, drugs, and drama. And uh, Quentin, I love how your company like just started the investor deck with a story of someone. Uh, I think her name is Laura. I'm reading it right now. Mm -hmm. She was making less than $20,000 a year and she had to commute one and a half hours to work each way with that. And she made less than $20,000 when rents were running between like almost $1,000 to 1300 bucks. Like you, you can't, there's nothing left over after a rent like that. So for the folks that are out there that are like instantly challenging, like, oh, this can't work or this is a terrible thing. No one will actually rent it out. You had to stop putting yourself and thinking the whole world revolves around you. There are folks out there that are really hardworking out there that are trying to make a living, that are trying to save a penny. And they are willing to do a little bit of sacrifice in terms of living space, but they are able to generate financial well so that they can accumulate that wealth and use it towards other means and whether they are forever renters or whether they are putting it towards buying a home that's all important we have to give other people the option and i think i love what you guys are doing here i pass what the both of you this is so cool um so 
I know we're getting to the end of the show, and I think we're gonna get so much attention from from this podcast. I'm already I already know it, uh, just with like the amount of participation and questions. So I would eventually love to have you both back on to answer some more questions for listeners out there. Please comment any questions that you would love for us to ask and follow up with Quentin and Beth herself. Uh, Quentin, let's start with you. If people want to reach out to you or find out more about Passplit, where can they go? They can go to uh, padsplit.com or they can just email me directly if you'd like. It's quentin at padsplit.com. Um, I'd love to talk about it and I'd introduce you to our sales team and kind of go from there. Love it. Beth, where can people find out more about you? Yeah. So LinkedIn is my regular name, Beth Silverman. On Instagram, which is the best way to connect with me, mm. it's Florida Moves with Beth. I know it's very long. I wish you were just invest with Beth. But unfortunately, it is Florida moves with Beth, one word. That's where you'll catch me. I do so many videos about this stuff because I'm so obsessed with it. Um, and again, you can catch me at email, BethPSilverman at gmail.com. But LinkedIn, Facebook, search my name. I'll pop up. Yeah, and I hope people will be blowing you up after this podcast. This has been an amazing conversation. And guys, thank you so much for what you do. Seriously, like... Without people like you guys thinking about innovative solutions, like I, my parents would have never had a home growing up and I would have never be where I am today without the both of you. So I'm so thankful for folks like you that are thinking outside of box that are really trying to help solve for this affordable housing crisis problem that we have. I, I love it. I'm so great, grateful that both of you came on to the show today. Thank you. Thank you so much. I hope we'll have you guys both back on eventually. All right. Thank you. And we're out.